Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. If you listened to us last week, episode 91, you heard us talk to Lara, and we talked all about food preparation and what that had to do with being human. And we didn't talk too much about food consumption, but we brought on the show or are bringing on the show today someone to talk to us about food consumption and production. And this is Margaret Perry. She's the general manager of Kirasan, a very uh, hip Washington, D.C. restaurant that I've heard great things about, but I've never had the pleasure of actually visiting. But Margaret's been on the show before to talk to us about what it's like to manage a restaurant and has lots of cool stories and all sorts of things like that. She's coming to us at a busy time. More on that in just a sec. But in the meantime, Margaret, welcome back to Vernacular. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Definitely. I I said you're in a very busy time just a moment ago, and I know that you're in the middle of or gearing up for a restaurant week. And tell us a little bit about what that entails for you and how how crazy it makes your life for uh, for you as a general manager at Kirasan. Yeah, sure. So Restaurant Week is, um, they do it in a lot of different cities here in D.C. Um, it's put on by the Association of Restaurant Owners um, here in the D.C. area. And it's essentially a big week-long promotion where all the restaurants offer special deal, special pricing deals. Like for us, it's three courses for $35 for dinner. Um, and so what they do is they do a huge PR push and it becomes this big citywide event in the summer doldrums um, when everything is really slow and lazy because it's just unbearably hot and muggy out and nobody wants to do anything. We turned it into a really active and fun event for the city and for restaurants worldwide or not worldwide, citywide. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. And wherever you are, everybody who's listening, look up your restaurant week because it's a great time to go out and see a lot a lot of new and adventurous cuisines. And that's really the drive of it, right? Like all the time at Kirasan, we get guests who are like, oh, I've wanted to go here forever, but I just never had the right occasion. And I just finally decided to do it. And they do it because the price is much more accessible. Um, and it's a chance for them to kind of have an adventure. It's crazy though. <laughs> you are very right. We do about 120 people every night, which is wow. like what we do on a Friday night. But we're doing that on Monday and on Tuesday, and we do it for seven days straight, basically. Oh and goodness. so it's, yeah, it's super intense. It's super busy. Well, I guess one saving grace is, like you said, this is the the doldrums of the summer anyway. So at least it's, I guess, bookended by slower times, right? Right. Yeah. So you have plenty of time to gear up for it. And, you know, we've done this now for, I mean, I've done it with this restaurant group for five years we've done 10 of this is my 10th restaurant week wow so, so you're a pro it, like we know what we're doing yeah yeah we know what we're doing and and I'm not worried you know we don't worry about what it is we just know it's going to be busy you know right it's really fulfilling to have all of these people be surprised by the same things that I say every day time and time again you know and the same dishes that we put out every right. day time and time again but it's their first time and we get to take care of them and surprise them and delight them and it's really it's a great time for everybody because of that so yeah that's our next week and for for us um and it's 
been a lot of work getting ready for it, but um, it's going to be really fun. Well, good. Uh, we wish you the best on that. And thank you again for thank carving you. out some time tonight to talk to us. I think what you were saying there about about having the opportunity to take care of people when you show them a good meal and surprise them and engage them, I think that actually has to do a lot with what we'll talk about tonight. And yeah. um, I think the the first question is, very simply, what does eating food have to do with being human? Yeah, I think that another way we can think about this is, is do we have to enjoy our food or as more than simply fuel, is that necessary to living a flourishing human life or as we've kind of taken to calling it a truly human life? Do we, is there something that is special about humans and the way that we enjoy our food? Or, or is that something that, you know, everybody, every animal plant, you know, it's, it's not unique to humans. Well, I was just going to say like, that's, that's exactly it, right? Every, every living thing eats in some way. Um, but what we say when we mean eat is something a lot bigger and a lot more than that. So that's like such an interesting question about the difference, right? You know, part of determining how we really flourish as human beings is determining how we're different from any, even in just base biological ways, how we're different from the animals and the plants and everything else. Right. Yeah. Cause food is going to nourish us and keep us alive just like it's going to nourish and keep alive animals. But I guess I would hope that ideally, you know, in a culture that has enough money and can afford it, we can enjoy food as more than just that kind of daily sustenance. Yeah. Well, so I think, Margaret, like you were saying, every living thing eats, uh, even even non-animate organisms like trees eat, right? They soak up nutrients from their roots. But uh, insects uh, eat. You know, uh, this is probably a gross example, especially as we're talking about food. But you know, a mosquito—it's not—it's not picky about where it gets its meal. It just is going to get get its blood meal from some host. And on and on through right. the animal kingdom, you can find a lot of examples like this. And and maybe you have some differentiation of preferences. You know, I think people could point to their dogs or cats that like a certain type of dog food or cat food, but not another. So there are. Our preferences right. to some degree in the animal kingdom, but I think not to the degree that you have such a diverse palate differentiation in humans. And so I think that's one way that that distinguishes us from the animal kingdom in that regard. Yeah, I actually think if you look at history, culture culture is born out, and um, you know, you think of civilization, you think of trade. It's because of food, right? And even when you go back to the to the earliest human whatever colonies, I don't know what we call them scientifically, but it's the difference of innovation, right? You know, my cat growing up only ate dry food, which is super weird for a cat. Most cats love wet food. Yeah, I thought they all liked wet food. But she never would have like taken the wet food and like laid it out in the sun so that it dried out enough so that it was palatable to her, right? Like she never would have thought to do that because she didn't think. She just ate what was in front of her. And when she was done eating it, she left, right? But mankind did something different. We're doing something different at like a super basic level in that we are innovating. We're taking something that's not necessarily nourishing in its raw state in its natural state and we're making it better you know um whether it's like i mean the easiest easiest example of course is just raw meat and raw fish and stuff like that which needs to be cooked for it to not be poisonous to us right? right 
Um, but even innovations of, I know last week we talked a lot about baking, right? Like taking something like a wheat grain and not only completely transforming it, um, developing it, making it ferment and grow, but then taking that and transforming it in a whole hundred different ways that sustain and fulfill us on a basic level. But then the next level is like the pleasure side of it, right? And suddenly, instead of just having a dry biscuit, we have, you know, a buttermilk biscuit in the South with ham and gravy and all of these wonderful things, or you have cakes and cookies and like this innovation so that, you know, that to me is like the third wave of the, of the, the question. The first is, what's the fundamental thing that humans do that's more and that to me is cooking and then the second is the pleasure side of it and how how does that relate to our humanity yeah i i think both of those two ideas that we cook food and that we enjoy it i think those are related to a quality of food as aesthetic that the rest of the animal kingdom mm-hmm. does not have you know i i don't think that uh, that a dog looks at his food and appreciates an aesthetic quality to his food, but, but right. we do. And and we see food as certainly something, you know, we need calories. We know that we need them to survive. But if it was just about needing calories to survive, we would have the same thing all day, every day. You know, we would just pick, pick the right. food that we most appreciate and go for that every time. But instead we find that inherently we have a, an inherent palate that appreciates a diverse selection of things and we have an innate right. desire some of us more than others you know uh, sally enjoys cooking more than i do but i still do from time to time we have an innate desire to create and then taking that to its logical fruition we i think enjoy creating something beautiful or enjoyable because we then like to consume it and enjoy consuming it and i think this points right. to something that we talked about last week with laura which is our humanity is both body and soul we right. are um, a union of body and soul. And so I think that when we talk about this, like eating because we enjoy it, because it's pleasurable, because it's something aesthetic, that that's because we were not just physical beings. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we're not physical beings. But we're also, right, this is one of the elements where we're made in the image of God. We are creators, right? And we do that in a whole bunch of different ways, right? In some just pure continuation of the species we have children right we procreate but also um intellectually spiritually philosophically we create whatever we touch we need to do something to we make our mark on it right and there's a virtue in that there can also be very much advice in that in terms of you know especially with food in terms of wastefulness but um there's that like we cultivate the land we work the earth. Why do we cultivate the land so that it can give us something that is better than what it gave us naturally on its own, right? Um, so every civilization is built on, you know, the, we see the movement of hunters and gatherers to farmers and cultivators to cities and civilizations that then engage with each other. And, you know, the place that didn't have any fruit because it was dry, but grows beautiful olive trees they cultivate each other and suddenly you have olive oil and you have fruit and then that that ends up building you know that builds culture and civilization uh, are talking to each other right we're so used to it as a christian society you know as in as christians and then also in a somewhat christian society we we're used to talking about 
faith in terms of eating, right? Right. Communion is a very common phrase in any Christian culture. Um, obviously, for some, it's more central than for others, but it's a meal. It's the heavenly banquet. It's the heavenly feast. But you see this across the board in, in the pagan religions. There's this. There's still this element of eating that's set apart, a meal that's sacrificial, a meal that is um, like actions that are determined by what you eat, like Persephone being stuck in the underworld, because why? Because she ate six seeds of a fruit of the underworld. And so she's stuck there. That's that's what determined that for her, you know? So there is something like extra here uh, that's very, very fundamental. And that's a really, like, why is it fundamental? That's the interesting question. Yeah, I think that is an interesting question. And I, a follow-on that I would have is what makes that fundamental to food because I don't think that's necessarily fundamental to all food but there's something in the quality about the way we enjoy certain food that makes it that way because I'm trying to think about how how to best characterize this but I'm just thinking about like someone who you know I, I've been on the go before I've just needed to grab a quick bite somewhere so I stop at a fast food restaurant I get some calories and I move on and right. I, I think that is not that is not consuming food in the way that we're talking about so right. uh, I guess, yeah. How, yeah. How, how do we, how do we conceive of a sort of a framework for thinking sure. about this? I do think ultimately, like if you were always on the go, if literally that was your whole life was on the go, you would end up starting certain rituals involved with eating to allow you to enjoy while it. still on the go. Yeah. I, I really do think that when we think about certain, like certain, certain food cultures, um, even when you think about the parts of the world um, where, you know, they, they live almost entirely on rice. Like we see that there are still these little mini cultures, even in starvation, that make that thing better, more pe- pleasurable. Even if literally all you do is eat rice every single day, there's something that, that, that transforms it. So um, like I'm thinking about in, in Korea, they have these three mother sauces and they're the sauce, the, the word for sauce, I think is jang, J-A-N-G. And what they are is it's, a, it's a fermentation basically. And it takes something really, really humble, like brown rice and it ages it. And with time, which is free in a certain respect and sunshine, which is free, like these are not resources necessarily, but they just, that's just part of the natural environment. They take that, they ferment it, and it becomes a base of a super rich and super diverse cuisine. Everything that you eat that's vaguely Korean has at the base of it one of these three sauces, which at the base of it is just rice that's been left for a really, really, really long time. And so to me, like, I feel like even in, I mean, on the go is a question that, like, that's a question of the modern world. But I still will bet that you'll still, like, if you are in a tough period where you, you know, I don't know, for three months, literally every day is on the go, every meal is on the go, I bet you're going to gravitate to the same five places and the same comfort food of those places. However, that's comforting. You know, for me, it's macaroni and cheese. For you, it might be a salad but you're still going to gravitate to that and make a little ritual about that. Right. And to me, that speaks to something essential about human nature, which is that eating is always more than just fuel. Yeah. I love that. I was trying to formulate a thought about if there's a difference between eating and feasting 
And if we can right. say that humans can feast and in a you know way a way that is special and unique to us, um, which also kind right. of speaks to uh, or points us in the direction of communal eating. Before we run out of time, I wanted to talk about that because that's a huge aspect of eating food is eating with other people and serving other people and and how does food connect us to other people in a way that is special and unique for humanity, whether you're in a modern, rich society or a poor, starving one? I mean, I think one in one respect, it's the one thing that we need to survive as a species that can be public, right? It can be shared. Even if you take a super, like, materialist, scientific, rationalist point of view, I guess those things are sometimes conflicting, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You take a very literal view of humanity, I it's still, it's more efficient to cook for a group, right? It's better to cook for six people than it is to cook for one people. You go through all the same steps, you just multiply the ingredients. And so even like, even in a very like simple scientific way, there's a sense where it, it makes better sense to, to cook as a group and eat as a group. And yet we don't see the animals do that. They hunt as a group, but then they just go eat their, their little things. It's not a social thing. It seems to me like... That's the part that actually really makes it fun. <laughs> right, right. And that's where we, that experience of eating then with other people, even if it's just one other person, you, right. I think that, that just brings in all of these other important qualities of a right. good food experience. The, the charity yeah. that's involved in, in serving to another person or just the, um, the friendship that develops over a wonderful shared meal. Right, right. And even, right, like, can you imagine any single ingredient that that literally you're fully responsible for? I mean, even if you cultivate your own tomatoes or make your, you know, grow your own herbs with the girls or something like that, like, you didn't make those seeds. You didn't, You had to have got, even if you did it for years and years and years, you still got that first seed from someone else who cultivated it. So there's even, like, this backwards looking, you, whatever you're sharing in, is part of someone else's work too. So that's that's a really fascinating and incredible thing too, right? You the mere fact of cultivating something, you're still tied to someone ahead of you. Yeah, and well, and you've mentioned this already a little bit, but the the whole idea of a a sort of tradition built around a tradition of practice built around the food, you know, a sort of liturgy. I think these liturgies develop right. all around communal tables all the time. I think the most right. common one that we're familiar with would be saying grace before meals. And, right. and, you know, there are many families who aren't, aren't particularly aligned to a faith tradition, but they'll still say grace before meals at Thanksgiving, because that's, that's the liturgy that's observed around the Thanksgiving table or, or, or maybe even just the, the system in which food is consumed. There's, you know, appetizers and then there's the main course. And then to top it all off, there's a right. dessert at the end. And I mean, even that in and of itself is a sort of liturgy at the, at the dinner table. And I think right, that's another yeah. very interesting aspect of, of how we consume food. We have these like um, idiosyncratic, and I say that not to minimize them, just to recognize that they are sort of pattern-based. We have these sort of idiosyncratic methods of consuming food when we do it together. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and so much so that we even follow these, these things when we're on our own, right? Like I, I'm fairly certain if you just grabbed an egg sandwich from the Starbucks on your way into work. Like that's just fuel. 
like maybe you say a little hello to the person at the counter who you know because you go in every day. But if you take a moment to heat up a skillet and fry an egg and dig around for the toast and realize it's on a different shelf from it normally is and be like, oh, roll your eyes. Sally put it on the wrong shelf, whatever. <laughs> like that's, that's already more – and it's just you sitting there and eating it, right? But it's already more than 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 just grabbing something and going right and so like even i think liturgy is such an awesome phrase for it because we fall into these habits and we find ourselves still doing them even without um the tether of community you know oh absolutely Um, i eat alone a lot i have a polar opposite schedule from my roommate um i are we have what we call family meal at the restaurant, which means the cooks take anything that's extra and they make something out of it and usually put in a lot of salt. And we each just go grab a bowl and go off to our corners, me usually back to the office and eat this bowl of rice and vegetables and, you know, scraps from whatever steak we just butchered and whatever. But I'm still doing something with that time and that eating that's more, you know, obviously as a Christian, I say grace, but there's like a a ritual to that. I find I enjoy that meal a lot better if I put it in a real bowl rather than the little like plastic containers that we usually use around the restaurant. That feels more fulfilling to me because a bowl means a meal and a meal is not fuel. It's sustaining spiritually, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you guys need to establish a little bit more of a liturgy around the family meal there. <laughs> we, we should establish a liturgy. You're right. We absolutely should. We'd enjoy. And and the places that I've worked and we've had time periods like this, like it's actually, actually at the end of restaurant week, I do this every year. I buy a whole bunch of cheese and charcuterie and I bring in some really fun wine from our distributors and we'll just sit and have, you know, after the last service, we'll stay super late, totally exhausted and share this meal together. And to me, it's this wonderful opportunity to just be together. We have nowhere to go. We don't have 120 people walking in the door the next day. We can just say, hey, we did this. We took care of people. Now let's take care of ourselves, you know? Right. Food is fuel, right? Like it actually fundamentally, that's what it is. But if that's all you think of it as, then you you aren't living a fully human life. Because there's so much more to it. There's culture, there's virtue in, you know, Sally, you talked about the charity of serving someone else, of listening to someone else, of um, learning to be gracious, learning to engage, learning to sit through bad moods and bad meals and all that, and be still there present because this isn't just food, but it's also just food. Like you need it. You have to be there, but you learn how to make being there so much more worthwhile. I love that. I could not say it better if I tried. So we're just going to end on that note. Margaret, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. And thank you for yeah sharing your, your insights. And we will have to have you back again. I look forward to it. It was wonderful to be here.